to the angel of the church in Ephesus write, These are the words of him who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven golden lampstands. I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people, that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not, and have found them false. You have persevered and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. Consider how far you have fallen. Repent and do the things you did at first. If you do not repent, I will come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. But you have this in your favor. You hate the practices of the Nicolaitans, which I also hate. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. To the one who is victorious, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. Yeah, ends the reading. Well, good morning, everyone. It's good to see you. Let's uh, pray, and then we'll have a look at this uh, short letter. Father, we thank you for your word. What a privilege it is for us to um, have your words written down, words that you've spoken um, through your son via an angel to John, so that we may benefit. We thank you that you're a God that are unbelievably concerned with our lives, and therefore you address us. And so as we look at this word, Lord, as we read it, we pray that we may indeed hear it and that our hearts may indeed treasure it um, until the Lord Jesus come in all his glory. And we do this in his name. Amen. Well, we are into our third week of looking at the book of Revelation, um, and we are now coming to the little letters uh, that uh, he's writing. So we've, I'm not going to try and rerun everything we've said. Uh, John is a fantastic, uh, condensed, and uh, complicated book. It's a letter, it's a prophecy, it's apocalyptic literature. Uh, and we find in the letters a little bit of that, a little bit of apocalyptic. Uh, there's a little bit of prophecy, and there's write this down, letter style. So the entire uh, book was written to the seven churches, and that is also which is written to us. So last week we looked at this enormous picture. So we're not going to get into the details here of how these letters are very similar. They're very similar in their structure. And we'll pick it up every week that we do it. They start out with a kind of a hint back to the enormity of the person of Jesus Christ, the victorious uh, warrior, king, judge um, that we saw in chapter 1. Uh, they then, he then commends the congregation. He then tells them where he thinks they are wrong. So he comes as the judge. He is coming to judge his church first before he comes to judge the world when he comes in glory. So judgment, according to the New Testament, always starts at the household of God. So God is very concerned about how we live our lives. Um, and we've been, war- been warned. The one who is and who was and is coming. And then, look, he's coming. And he's going to talk about coming again. So there's a lot of comings in the book of Revelation, not just at the end. 
uh, Jesus comes before the end, but he comes then to judge his church. So he's very concerned with his church. So you'll find that kind of thing. Then there's a, often there's an invitation to listen carefully, and then there's a promise. And that promise picks up stuff that happens in chapters 19 to 22 in the book of Revelation. So you can see that it's incredibly integrated um, kind of material that we're looking at. So we don't worry too much about that. That's just the background. So quickly, let's have a look at this short little letter that uh, the angel, uh, it's written to the angel of the church of Ephesus. Uh, these are the words of the one who holds the seven stars in his right hand and walks among the seven lampstands. And so we saw that last year, last week. The seven lampstands are the seven congregations. The seven stars are the angels that are the messengers, the divine uh, angelic messengers that takes the message to those churches. They are the heavenly representatives, um, and they are used to communicate what the sevenfold spirit communicates via Jesus. You know, it gets quite complicated after a while. You've got to keep your head. Right, letter. These are the words, classic prophetic uh, introduction. Listen to the words of the Lord. I heard the word of the Lord. Those are the prophetic elements that come through. Here's the one who stands in the midst of his church. He walks in the midst of his church. He's very acquainted with his church. He loves his church. He's established his church. He wants to uphold his church. He wants to investigate his church. He is the one who understands everything about the seven churches. And then obviously in terms of the seven, the complete church worldwide. So here's the one that opinion matters. So look at how he starts. Verse 2, I know your deeds. So I don't know what you think about the church. Well, this one or any church. Uh, fashionable to have an opinion, isn't it? About church. You may have one. I definitely have one. Um, and it uh, doesn't really matter. The only one whose opinion really matters is the one who is the Lord of the church. The one who has actually brought the church into being and the one who looks after the church. I mean, it's good for us to listen to what other people say. It's good for us to listen to one another about our opinions because we are always limited in our understanding and ability. So it's a good thing to be humble. But ultimately, the only person's opinion that really matters is the Lord Jesus Christ's opinion. And that's why he says, I know, and the word know there is in the perfect tense, which means I know completely. There is nothing that I don't know about crossword. There's nothing that I don't know about the church in Ephesus. Um, that's what he's saying. I know. I know your deeds. I know your hard work and your perseverance. And he's going to kind of pick up on those three uh, little elements. Uh, in his, He's commending the church now. So I know everything about you. I know what you do. I know the labor that you're involved in, and I know your perseverance. And he's saying, well, this is good. So he's commending them. Just as we get there, Ephesus was a port city, very important little city. The first city you would normally arrive at when you come to modern-day Turkey, Asia Minor in those days, um, was a cosmopolitan place. It had uh, trade routes, three trade routes moving away uh, from Ephesus and coming towards Ephesus. The letters, as we read them, you'll find out that's what is known as the postal route. So the letters go up, and then they come down on the other side. That's the postal route. But there were two other major kind of uh, highways leading to Ephesus, because that's a port city. That's where everything gets kind of downloaded and uploaded. And so it was cosmopolitan. There was a number of different cultures. It was very much known for the massive 
uh, one of the seven wonders of the world, the great uh, temple to Artemis that was 65 meters wide and 155 meters long. It had columns. I think it was 130 columns that upheld this entire thing. It was massive. Inscriptions all over it, statues all over it, altars all over it. Um, and that was just one of the temples in Ephesus. That was the biggest one. There were a number of other temples. Uh, there were statues all over the city. There were inscriptions about the, how divine the emperor is since Augustus, because he was the one who brought peace to the world. So everywhere you went, you were confronted with Roman imperialism. It was literally everywhere. You couldn't look anywhere. It was literally like they were using all the media of the first world to communicate the power and the opulence of the emperors. And they were often, even on their coins, you had the emperor on the one side of the coin and you had the goddess, one of the goddesses on the other side of the coin. And so when you flip a coin, some people believe you are praying to the emperor and to the goddess. You could not not be confronted with the reality that the world was dominated by Rome, dominated by being religious on every Thing, everything was covered with that. So it was a very difficult place to say suddenly, I believe Jesus Christ is Lord. I do not bow down and pay homage to the emperor and to whatever else, all the other goddesses. Heraclitus says that what they were doing in the services with Artemis was so bad, it was so animal-like, that the only thing fit for those people would be to drown them. That's how horrendous the orgies and the stuff was because Artemis is fertility goddess. You can just imagine. <laughs> so it was quite crazy. Um, we, are, we, we have a kind of a lame life in comparison. And so to be a Christian and to stand up and to be clear what you believe, you were often excluded socially. You were excluded from the economy. You may even be excluded from your life. We'd not read that anybody was yet killed in Ephesus, but that was the context. Just to give you a little bit of the context of what was going on. So it was quite an incredible thing. And this church had all the best teachers in the ancient world. Most likely started through Paul, Priscilla, Aquila, and uh, Apollos. If you go back to Acts, you can actually go and read that. Fascinating. Paul was in Ephesus for three years teaching. For two years he taught in the school hall of Tyrannus. Isn't that a nice reference to schools? Charmian, the school all of the tyrant. He taught there for two years. He then left and sent Timothy to them. And in 1 Timothy, we read about Paul instructing Timothy how to look after the church in Ephesus. Timothy was a great man. Then there was somebody called Tychicus. And eventually, Paul, or John, the writer to, of this entire letter, was in Ephesus. So they really had the who's who of the world teaching in Ephesus. They had all the best minds because Paul understood that a port city was vital to get the gospel in because all the other churches that we're going to refer to was planted out of Ephesus. As people move in and they move out, if you catch them there, you can make them take the gospel with them wherever they go. And so it's a very important city and it was a very, very well-equipped church with the best teaching you could probably imagine. And wouldn't it be nice to... Have Paul and then Timothy and then Tachicus and then John as your pastors. And you see something of that reflected in the letter. Okay, so we're back 
to this. He says, I know your deeds, your hard work, and your perseverance. He seems to pick up on the deeds. I know that you cannot tolerate wicked people. What is one of the greatest criticisms against the church? We're intolerant. Jesus says, do not tolerate wickedness. Do not tolerate evil. Do not tolerate inner malice. That's actually what the word means. It's inner malice that brings about hurt. He says, I commend you that you do not tolerate wickedness. <laughs> now you can imagine if the people were living like Heraclitus says they were living in Ephesus, then they would have stood out like a sore thumb, isn't it? You do not tolerate wicked people or malice. I know your deeds. You are very well known to stand out. He says that you have tested those who claim to be apostles but are not and have found them false. So I know your hard work. You listen carefully to anybody who gets up and preaches. And you listen to what they're saying and you are able to discern whether they are truthful or not. I commend you for that. I commend you that you are very serious about what is true and who has authority and who is allowed to say anything. Um, great uh, thing, isn't it, to commend a church for. You are full of truth. You are so good that you can even spot a false teacher and you call them out. You stand up against them. You do not just go with the flow and just accept. Massive, isn't it? Would you like to be part of a church like that? Further, he says, you have persevered, verse 3, and have endured hardships for my name and have not grown weary. So, I take it, it means you've been testifying, you've been holding your testimony, and you have suffered hardship, whatever it is, he doesn't give us the details. And you have not grown tired of it. You have not given in to it. You've not succumbed to the pressure. You've not succumbed to the desire of the society to conform to the standards of society. Everybody always wants you to be like them, isn't it? And he says, well, you haven't done that at all. And he commends them for that. So, I mean, I take it that's a good thing for us to ask. If we are, Would Jesus say that about us? Would he say that, I like the fact that you are known for not tolerating wickedness. That I love the fact that you are able to discern truth. So you pick up books in, you know, we don't have apostles anymore, but we've got bookshops. They're even worse. You pick up a bookshop and you open it. Can you discern the truth? And know what is false and what is misapplied and overemphasized and underemphasized. Incredible commendation. It would be nice, isn't it, if Jesus could do that with crossword. And that you have persevered and have suffered hardship for my name's sake. You love my name to make my name known, to stand in my name, to be aligned with my name. And you've not grown weary and tired. You've not lost your oomph. You have not lost your passion. Great commendation. So it's good to ask, would Jesus say that about us? Which makes the next bit so terribly, terribly difficult to understand. Look at what Jesus says in verse 4. Yet I hold this against you. You have forsaken the love you had at first. <laughs> Whoa, okay. Hate wickedness. Love the truth. Persevered even in hardship. 
without growing tired. And Jesus says, hmm, but you've loved, you've lost, you've forsaken, not lost, you've forsaken, you've turned away, literally. You have rejected your first love. It's a very strong word that Jesus uses here. He adds to the seriousness of it in a number of next statements. Look at what he says. Consider how far you have fallen. This is not a, a glitch. This is being toppled off a height. You have fallen far. Consider it. <laughs> you scratch your head. What on earth is Jesus talking about? He goes a bit further. He says, repent. And do the things you did at first. Do your first acts of love. If you do not repent, I will come. Yeah, he's coming. All right? Promise he's coming. Who <laughs> was, who is and was and is coming. I come to you and remove your lampstand from its place. I will take away your witness. You will no longer be a witness of me. That's quite serious, isn't it? Not, you will lose your witness. I will come and I will remove you as a witness. This is not passive, it happens because we've lost our footing. This is him coming and saying, I will remove you as a witness. That's fascinating, isn't it? I mean, it's disconcerting. If you read it, try and... Jesus says, you are known for the truth, but somehow you are not known for love. And I will not tolerate a church that is known for truth, but not for love. He's not saying don't have truth. (laughs) He's just commended them for it. He says, I will not tolerate a church that is not known for love. I will remove your lampstand if you don't repent. I mean, that's... Yeah, very, very serious. Which is fascinating when you look at the church through the history. Uh, some other day I was listening to a podcast, and one of the people on the podcast says, What's one of the fascinating things is when you look at the Western church's uh, confessions of faith, that it's got a lot there in there of what you need to believe and who Jesus is and how you need to live and holiness. And a whole host of issues are highlighted very well and very good in those kind of confessions. You know what is the one thing that is almost absent always? The absolute necessity of love. They are not in our public confessions of our faith. (laughs) Jesus says... You hate evil, you love the truth, you can spot error, and you persevere for my name, but you don't have love, so I'm going to remove your lampstand. I don't know how it makes you feel. It's like, whoa, how is it even possible? What is Jesus talking about? It's difficult to know, isn't it? Because he's not very, he doesn't give us an, you've lost your love for the Lord. Or you love your loss, you've lost your love for one another. Or you've lost your love for the world. To bring them the gospel. Or you have lost the fact that you have been saved by God. His love for you. He doesn't say. He just says you've lost your first love. So, difficult to know. So if you read the commentators, they're all going to very 
detailed exegetical reasons why they believe which one of the four is the most important one. So I have a tendency to be more pan-millennial. Whenever I'm not sure, I just throw them all in there. So I think that's what's so interesting about this. Jesus is not being specific. He doesn't tell us, oh, you've lost your love for God, or you've lost your understanding that God loves you, or you've lost your love for others, or you've lost your love for the world. He just said you've lost your love. I take it, well, let's make sure we deal with all of them. Isn't that right? So look at what he says. He says, consider how far you've fallen, repent, and do the things you did. What did you do when you were in love for the first time? How difficult was it to wait for the other person? It wasn't difficult at all, is it? It was the greatest joy of your life. You was like had this funny expression on your face. What does it look like when you are in love? He says, consider, remember it. Remember what it was like when you were in love. When love was that which drove you, which overwhelmed you, which made you. Would you say you are there? Now. That's what he's saying, isn't it? You've lost that drive, that joy, that constraining power of love. Where is it? That's what Jesus is on about, isn't it? Fascinating. And he makes a big deal of it. And so look at verse 7. I think verse 7 is quite helpful. He says, Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. So just note a couple of very interesting things. He's speaking to you now suddenly to the churches. He's been writing to Ephesus, but now suddenly he says, Listen to what the Spirit is saying to the churches. It's not a grammar mistake of translation. It actually says churches. This is a message that is true and important for every church to listen to, not just Ephesus. Ephesus may have been just the one that God picks out, or Jesus picked out, but all the churches need to listen to this message that has been given by the Spirit. So Jesus, by the Spirit, through the angel, gives this message to John to write down to this church. So everybody must listen. But look at how uh, interesting something else that you note. Whoever has ears, let them hear what the Spirit says to the churches. Now, this gets a little bit more disconcerting. It seems like when you read these letters that Jesus assumes that there are people in the churches that are not part of the churches. They don't listen to what the Spirit says. And we're going to see that when it comes in a little bit more in the other letters. There are some of you who hold to this in this teaching. There are some of you who does these and these things. So Jesus assumes not everybody was going to listen. <laughs> not everybody who is there is necessarily going to listen. Oh. So it becomes a little bit more tricky. Not everybody who comes to church will listen to what the Spirit is saying. Jesus is saying, I want you who have ears to hear what the Spirit is saying. And to the one who is victorious, the one who overcomes, the one who likes it, really what the word means, Nike, I will give the right to eat from the tree of life, which is in the paradise of God. That is picked up in Revelation 22, twice. The tree of life. The tree where God shares his eternal life and you are in fellowship with him. It's an active thing. 
that you can eat from that tree. So you actively receive life from him all the time because you're in fellowship with him. And that's really what he's saying, isn't it? Yeah. So it's very helpful for us to, oh, okay. Jesus is very realistic. He, is the, he comes as the judge of the church in time. And he says, this is good. This is not good. And if you don't change this, I'm going to remove your witness. The individual that hears it and overcomes will be saved, but the church will lose its witness. Lots of interesting things. This Jesus, this divine human judge, warrior, priest, king, comes to judge his church first. And he says, this is what I want you to do. So I take it. When you hear those words, you have lost your first love. How do you react? Sad? No, but we are nice people, man. I mean, look at you guys. You are so nice. We are good people. This is a loving church. We become defensive. Could be. Or we come and we just absolutely are devastated. I mean, I guess there's always the two sides of it. Either you could excuse yourself or you condemn yourself entirely, isn't it? I take it that's why this is such a good thing. Ask the Spirit. Spirit, you show me where my life shows where I may have not been in your love. I've not been excited that you've loved me first. I'm not overwhelmed by that reality. Maybe I've lost a little bit of that in my life. Maybe that's why I don't love you as much as I did in the beginning. It wasn't very difficult for me to love the Lord and to worship Him in the beginning. Because I had this love that was on fire. I want to spend time with him. I want to know him better. I want to be like him. Maybe that's what the Spirit must reveal to you. I can't reveal it for you. You who have ears must listen to what the Spirit is saying. Try and work out your love for the Lord. Love his word. Love to read. Love to talk to him. Love to spend time. Love to worship him. I don't know. What would you say? Do you think you're doing it a little bit less with a bit more grumpiness than you did at first? Well, they know how far you've fallen. Change your mind. You have been given, we have been given an opportunity right now to, to make some, okay, Lord, if I'm honest, I have lost that first love. Show me. Change me. Be merciful to me. He says, I, I, that's what I want to do. I'm, I'm calling you to repent. I'm giving you an opportunity. Maybe it's your love for other people, for other Christians. And that becomes a little more difficult, isn't it? I mean, is there anybody here this morning that you do not consider as more important than yourself? Then you're not loving If there is any encouragement in being united with Christ, if there is any comfort from His love, if there is any fellowship in the Spirit, if there is any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete, says Paul, and being of one mind, having the same love. Therefore, consider everyone else as more important than yourself. There's the application of love. What is, what is the love of Jesus, the comfort of Jesus for you. What does it do for you to others? Well, 
you consider others as more important than yourself. That's a way of loving others. One of the signs of loving somebody else. So would you say, Lord, you tell me, do I consider everybody else here as more important than myself? Am I concerned with their interests as much as I'm concerned with my interests? Lord, you tell me, you tell my heart, is that so? Is there anybody that I'm going <laughs> to talk to you? Yeah, sit on the other side. Lord, you've got to change my heart. You have got to enable me to love as you have loved me. You see what he's saying here? I don't know. I don't know which, which one of all of those aspects he's applying, but you've got to ask the Lord, help me. Help me to see whether I will bear with other people's misunderstanding. Will I bear with their failures? Will I make every effort to love them? Am I completely humble in the presence of other people? That's what love looks like, isn't it? I mean, it's more than that, but it's... You know what I'm saying? See what is... Is the church known for love? Love that he loved us first. Love that we love him. Love that we love one another. And love that we are concerned for the world who are going pear I mean, maybe you are strong in one area, not so lucky. I don't know. I mean, I don't know your heart. I can just tell you that this is kind of... I come up short in all four. Lord, Paul says the love of Christ constrains us. You know what the language is? It's actually a military term. In the old days, you had a city that was more or less round. And so the, the guys would come and they would surround the city. And they would encamp around the city. Because normally your water and your food had to come from somewhere. Because you, the city walls kind of separated you from the rest. So they would just sit there and wait. And constrain the life out of you until you give up and give over. And then they take in. He says, the love of Christ constrains me. It actually determines my very being. It pushes out all the selfishness and it pushes out all the other stuff. It, <laughs> it pops out. But the only thing that stays at the end is this love that is like mine. So, you see what I'm trying to say? I don't know. I don't know what the Spirit is saying to your heart, but here are some of the issues to look at. How concerned are you for the lost? Now, if they get there, they get there. Do you have love for the lost? Worry about them, pray about them, stay awake at night. (laughs) I don't know. What do you do when you're in love? What's the natural thing? What's the first thing you do when you're in love? He says, consider that. Remember that. Evaluate yourself. So it's kind of serious words, isn't it? But it's also good because he's giving us the opportunity to hear it. He's not acted yet in judgment, but he's warning. And saying to the church and to all churches, listen carefully to what the Spirit is saying. I want you to come to me. So maybe that's what we should do as a church. So I want to I suggest to you something, and I don't want to mess up your quiet time life, you know, but I want to mess it up a little bit. Why don't you take this letter and spend the rest of the week 
just reading it and reading it and looking at all the angles of it and all the questions it raises and try and figure out what on earth is Jesus saying to you about your love? Love the truth. Hate wickedness. Do everything for his name's sake. Do I live in the love of God for me? Do I love God with all my heart, soul, mind, and strength? Do I love my neighbors, myself? Do I love the world so that they may hear the gospel? I don't know. Just play with it. Good stuff, isn't it? He's inviting us to do that this morning. And so somebody says uh, repentance is like swapping. You swap your life for Jesus' life. And then they use the swap as an acronym. So maybe we can quickly do that. S, submit. Submit all of you to him. To his love. To his grace. To his peace. Lord, here I am. I cannot. I, my opinion of me does not really matter that much, Jesus. Neither does anybody else's opinion. It's not that I don't want to listen because they may point out things. But their opinion doesn't really, it's really your opinion that matters. So won't you help me to surrender everything that I think about myself, everything that I have, everything that I don't have, and let me surrender it to you. You do with what you want to do with it. I'm making it available to you. Here I am. My failures, my strengths, my gifts, my time, my resources. I want to just love you. Here I am. Help me to do that. Help me to surrender myself to you. First S of swap is surrender. Second one is wait. Wait so that you may hear the Spirit saying to you, Jesus' love has dealt with every single thing that separates you from God forever. Maybe that's one of the difficulties. We battle to believe that my greatest problem has been dealt with in Christ. So all sin, whether it affects God or others or myself, has been dealt with in Christ. Let the Spirit remind you that that's exactly what He's done. Let the grace of that love flood you so that you will be at peace about everything. So you are ready to be used. Empty yourself of yourself. Receive the life of Christ. The love of God. So wait, take, take some time. Don't jump too quickly to go, you know, one of the words in the Bible I really don't like is the word wait. Wait. Yeah, but wait. Till you get it. So the S is for surrender. The W is for a uh, wait. The A is for avoid anything that has got nothing to do with love. Avoid it. Actively avoid it. Fruit of the Spirit is? Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, and self-control. Avoid anything that doesn't have that in it. <laughs> any thought, any word, any desire. Say, Lord, yeah, I want to avoid it. At all cost. And then, P, I want to pursue that at all cost. I want to pursue love. I want to pursue joy. I want to pursue peace. I want to pursue patience. I want to pursue kindness. I want to pursue goodness. I want to pursue faithfulness. I want to pursue self-control. Swap your life for his life. Repentance. 
It's an ongoing thing, isn't it? I mean, you can't do it just once. You've got to keep on doing it. Which is good news, isn't it? It means Jesus is, in one sense, saying, Come, I want you to know and experience me more fully so that your witness will go out into the world. The witness about me will go out into the world. So in one sense, there's not, it's not an easy task, but it's a doable task. Because he has given us his spirit, he has given us his word, and he's just helped us this morning just to think it through a bit. So you ready? He'll come back next week and just have a quick, how did it go? Do you feel, do you sense, are you more constrained by the love of God? Has he, have you swapped it out for him? I take it that's what he's after. And there are no rules and regulations, so we can't point to one another. Ah, you haven't given as much as I have. <laughs> Jesus doesn't work like that. He says, have you done what the Spirit has convinced you to do? Have you dealt with me? Don't look over the fence. Good news, isn't it? Fantastic. We have an opportunity to hear what the Spirit is saying this morning. And Jesus is inviting us to actually do exactly that. Let's pray together. Heavenly Father, we thank you that you are always a God who speaks the truth. And you speak it in love. It is because you love us that you are prepared to tell us where we go wrong or where we have lost our footing or where we have lost our passion, where we've lost our love for you, for others, for the world, for being in you by your love. You know us, Lord, everything. You know everything. You know our deeds. You know our work and you know our perseverance. You also know our failure. And yet you come as the Lord of Lords, the one who walks among the seven churches, the one who has the seven stars in your right hand. You are the ruler and the controller of all of reality. You are giving us an opportunity to engage with you today. So Lord, whether it's for someone the first time that they've ever said, Lord, here I am, I have realized I have not ever given myself to you without reserve. I'm afraid to do that. Help me. I'm afraid to make myself available to you. Help me. I know you are worthy, but I am weak. Help me. Take me. You've come to save me. I have, in one sense, really nothing to give you that doesn't belong to you in the first place. So I surrender my mind, my heart, my soul, my body, my stuff. I want to surrender it to you and to your love so that your love will change my heart so that I will not hold on to anything more than you. Help me to do that this week. Help me maybe to do it for the first time today. Thank you that you promised that you will flood my heart with your love, with your mercy, with your peace that will empower me to seek your glory always. Help me to wait till I am convinced that that is so. 
Help us, Lord, to avoid anything that does not smack of love. <laughs> That's the great Paul even wrote to the Ephesian church. Truth one another in love. Love is the environment. Love is the source. Love is the juice in which we truthing one another, speak the truth to one another. It is because of love that we speak the truth. Help us, therefore, Lord, to avoid anything that doesn't smack of love. And help us, Lord, to pursue love in small and in great deeds so that our witness of the magnitude of your love may be true and real and magnificent. And it will change lives, ours and others. So we stand before you, Lord. We come because we know that you love a contrite heart. You who live in the highest of heavens, you make your home in the humble of heart. So we come, Lord. We even ask you to help us to surrender our surrender to you so that you may expand your love into us so that we may avoid anything that will detract from your love as we pursue your love. So thank you for this morning. Pray for every single one here, Lord, that you may be the one who will draw us by your spirit to hear that massive invitation, opportunity that you give us today to hear your call. And so we thank you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.